It's the 28th of August, 2023. I'm Miles Maftian, Editorial Director here at Visegrad Insight. There's a great deal of things going on this week. Of course, the world's attention is focused on the demise of the Wagner Group boss, but at the same time, China's pushing through this expansion of the BRIC Club to six new nations and a challenge to the G7 group of Western democracies. Of course, fearing arrest, Putin actually skipped the summit. These are just a few things that we're discussing here at Visegrad Insight. We have a couple upcoming texts that are right along the lines of what is the most important story coming to us in about two months or so, which is the Polish elections. Pawel Maruszewski discusses the demographic changes and its effect on voting districts in Poland. And of course, Sigita Struberga highlights NATO's new approach to Baltic defense. One of the major stories that we were focusing on this week was, or that we basically seen as really problematic, is President Duda has actively campaigned for the Peace Party. And this is essentially breaking the unwritten code of a nonpartisan president. His nominees for MPs are anticipated to be secured, and he will gain additional authority in military and EU matters. We're looking ahead here and, and trying to understand how these critical decisions uh, will play out, and it's expected to play out in this week's CM session. In other news, today, the European Council President Charles Michel will speak at the Bled Strategic Forum and essentially stress that the European Union should be ready to accept new members by 2030. So this is coming from a report that the Financial Times is discussing today. And in addition to Ukraine, as we know, Bosnia and Herzegovina and Moldova have the status of candidates, right? So Albania, Montenegro, North Macedonia, Serbia, Turkey, they've all gone a sort of step further and have the status of candidates negotiating. But there's a great deal here in terms of the future of the EU and what this looks like from now until 2030, which is sort of the signal that President Michel uh, has here. So, Adam, uh, I'm sitting here with Adam, Deputy Managing Editor. What do we actually make of this news? And precisely at this time, from such a big name, is this the direction that the EU wants to head? What's the story here? Yes, you're right. It's it's quite significant that Charles Michel picked up uh, this particular time to uh, to to announce this. Uh, it's important because it illustrates the commitment of of EU institutions, but also political commitment of of the of the core of the mainstream of the EU uh, to be ready to admit Ukraine. And of course, you know, we could argue that you know it, it's a bit of a distant. Um, prospect 2030 uh, but uh, and that you know a week is a long time in politics uh, we have Europe European elections next year which may change the composition of the European Parliament and shift the balance of power inside the EU towards more nationalist less um, um, less eurocentric uh, governments in, in some countries but nevertheless it's important that the institutions um, that the institutions and the head of the council, who represents the political power in the EU, um, is, is making such an announcement. It, it also contrasts with the, uh, uh, with the phenomenon that uh, Wojciech Przybylski, our editor-in-chief, and I wrote uh, last week, um, namely that Central Europeans, Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, uh, they are actually uh, likely to, or they are emerging as if they had second thoughts about 
admitting Ukraine, or at least that they will try to drive a very hard bargain uh, over Ukraine's access to EU funds, the farm market, and so on and so forth. So it's important that at this time of commotion, we have elections in Poland and in Slovakia, uh, which may which may turn both countries away from pro-Ukraine stance. It's important that at such a moment, uh, Michel makes this statement. We need to take into account that uh, European Parliament elections are next year, and uh, we also will have to see who is taking charge of the EU institutions, including whether Michel continues as, as head of the council or there is somebody else. So important development, important signal, but it's still a long way before enlargement actually happens. And maybe finally, one more point on this, uh, namely, you know, some of the Western European countries, members of the EU, they have insisted on institutional changes or increased role of um, increasing the role of of majority voting because they argue otherwise it will be very hard to make any decisions inside the EU. Again, this is something which is opposed by Poland and Hungary in particular, but I suspect some countries in the western part of the continent will also not be entirely comfortable with, with extending uh, majority voting. So there is a bit of an institutional um, riddle here and, and puzzle and, and catch-22. So we will see how the next parliament and the next uh, next um, commission handles that because I, I suspect that uh, we are not going to see any major significant developments until after parliamentary elections and the next EU political cycle. Thank you, Adam. Certainly this is a developing story, one that will really affect the, the future of the EU in terms of enlargement. But here in Poland, there have been some incredibly worrying signs, right? Um, and this is more related to domestic security. Poland's domestic security agency right now it's it's investigating whether an outbreak of Legionnaire's disease that has essentially killed seven people in the south of the country might be the result of intentional tampering with the water system. And this is reported from authorities on Friday who have essentially looked at it and have been investigating and in the outlook this week, we we highlighted not only this, but how over the weekend there were many trains that were abruptly stopped due to a unique alarm code distributed via short radio waves. So in several cities throughout Poland, individuals sent a digital signal stop message that basically triggered emergency procedures in all moving trains. And now the internal security agency is investigating this case as well. And you know, this calls into question the idea of hybrid threats. So we see what's happening in events in Belarus and Russia, and of course the ongoing war in Ukraine, and some are already saying that this could be a hybrid attack. That's testing the resiliency of Polish security in a myriad of ways. So what, what would you what would you say to this and and what have you heard surrounding the story adam yes this is a very strange story about the legionnaire disease in Rzeszów. Rzeszów is a town is a city in the south um, eastern poland uh, which has been uh, at the heart of the logistical operation supporting ukraine there is an airport there u.s uh, forces are there and a lot of equipment uh, and training is happening around around Rzeszów. so you know, 
it's no wonder that the uh, intelligence service is investigating. It should be investigating. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the perception that Russia and Belarus may want to destabilize Poland um, ahead of the elections has been around uh, with us for a while. And, um, and, you know, this coincides with the reports uh, that, um, uh, that uh, you know, there were some strange uh, signals, uh, emergency signals on the Polish rail network, uh, uh, which led to a number of uh, trains being stopped suddenly in the middle of, of their journey. Uh, it is not clear who released that signal. And there was also a report last week about, in one of the Polish newspapers, that um, a company that some of the energy Polish energy companies hired to uh, to inspect uh, the um, the electricity grid um, or survey the electricity grid by by drones uh, to ensure that it's you know up and running and that there are no problems that that some of the data that this company collected was actually passed to to uh, foreign intelligence. So a lot, a lot of work for the agency, obviously, and uh, and this is this is very worrisome, and you know this could be seen as part of of uh, Putin and and Lukashenko exerting pressure on on NATO's eastern flank. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we do have a great article by Sigita, our Marching Crow fellow, that is essentially about the changing nature of NATO's strategy towards the Baltics. And the security strategy there and we know that nato's eastern flank is ever more so uh, one of the most important pillars so i encourage our listeners to go and visit visual insight this week but for now we move on to the second portion of the podcast but for now we move on to the second portion of the podcast which is an interview with a very special guest
Hello, uh, my name is Adam Yasse. I'm deputy editor at Visegrad Insight. And today our guest is Spasimir Domaratsky, uh, a political scientist at the Institute of Central Europe and at the Warsaw University. Uh, Spasimir is a leading expert on European politics with focus on Central and Eastern Europe, as well as EU enlargement. Uh, Spasimir was a Visegrad Insight Fellow uh, in 2019-2020, and I'm delighted to have you with us. Thank you very much, Adam. Thank you for the invitation. Spasimir, one area of your expertise is Western Balkans, and today I wanted to probe your brain on recent events in Bulgaria. We have a new, rather awkward ruling coalition there after a series of inconclusive elections and unstable governments. Uh, but just last week, a prominent figure in Bulgaria, uh, an ex-spy turned businessman and political operator, Mr. Petkov, was shot dead in broad daylight in Sofia. And as far as I understand, that's just one of many strange assassination attempts on ex-spies or law enforcement officials, some of them with communist roots. So I just wanted to ask you, what does it mean? What's going on in Bulgaria? Thank you. Thank you for this question. I, I think that's an excellent, um, uh, although uh, quite terrifying starting point for, for our uh, talk on uh, what is happening in, uh, in Bulgaria. Um, but um, uh, let me um, say a couple of words about uh, Alexei Petrov himself. Uh, because in order to, to understand uh, uh, the importance of this murder, um, we need to be aware that this is a person who was always uh, uh, staying on top uh, in Bulgarian politics, uh, despite the fact that there were two attempts uh, for his assassination. Uh, and uh, if you try to dig deeper, uh, the only things that are clear are that uh, on one hand, he uh, started his uh, political career as most of the uh, of those, um, how to say, uh, gray characters of Bulgarian politics uh, in the early 1990s, um, doing exactly the same things as the Prime Minister Borisov, uh, having his own uh, security company um, and being connected to the former secret services. Uh, afterwards, uh, he has done uh, many different things, and uh, the let's say the um, the most important business in his uh, portfolio was, uh, uh, and this currently the company uh, Lefins, who is the which is the biggest insurance company in Bulgaria. Uh, so in that sense, he was uh, well situated and at the same time, uh, he appeared and disappeared from the uh, public uh, spectrum uh, uh, in a very different roles as an expert, as commentator, as a lecturer at universities. Uh, um, so you can see in, in his uh, biography uh, a person that is everything and nothing, but what is most important um, uh, no one was ever able to clearly identify where he stands. Sometimes he was uh, an adversary to uh, Borisov. Uh, Borisov uh, was mentioning him as his enemy, but at the same time there are numerous uh, uh, arguments and examples that uh, uh, Petrov himself was uh, 
part of the whole system of state capture. But but we need to understand that the murder of Alexei Petrov is uh, actually uh, just another page in the long history of uh, uh, Bulgaria's experience with uh, political murders. And this is uh, probably extremely important for, for the bigger picture of Bulgarian politics today. One of the things that was uh, considered to be Borisov's um, biggest success, uh, I, I think uh, uh, quite wrongly, was that uh, with his coming to power, political murders were over uh, in Bulgaria. And in that sense, he was able to provide security and stability to this country. Um, why these murders were over was because uh, um, actually the, 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 the criminal circle, circles, the, the, the political circles that were uh, controlled by them were able to take over power. And in that sense, there was no longer need for, for, for murders and uh, uh, gang wars um, as everything was uh, steered from one place. Now, uh, over the last two years, we have a very intensive um, uh, political uh, situation in Bulgaria with efforts to change the political model, which is associated with this concept of state capture, uh, with Borisov and the encirclement of um, um, companies that actually uh, constantly um, uh, drain uh, the public budget uh, and uh, um, uh, sent uh, profound uh, so substantial financial resources to uh, private companies. Uh, people went on the streets uh, over two years ago um, and uh, we had a, a serious political crisis with the inability uh, of the, uh, let's say, these uh, pro-democratic um, uh, revolutionaries uh, to wipe out uh, the uh, status quo connected with Borisov. Um, and uh, the consequence after five elections was that ultimately uh, we have currently a very toxic uh, coalition government uh, consisted of uh, Borisov's party and on the other hand um, the parties that uh, tried to change uh, the political system. So what is going on now? What is going on now? Exactly. And this is where the I think that one of the reasonable explanations for uh, the murder of Alexei Petrov appears, Borisov started losing ground again. And he is aware after 13 years of, uh, of controlling the country, uh, he has become aware that there is a need to uh, remove some of the uh, witnesses, some of uh, his partners, some of those uh, who can threaten him in case of the things turn wrong for him. And in that sense, uh, the murder of uh, Alexei Petrov is, uh, um, is, is a necessary step in order to uh, set the background uh, uh, for the current existence of Borisov in, uh, in Bulgaria's uh, politics. Uh, so this is... Yes, because you know, what does it all mean? What, what does it all boil down to? We have to be extremely careful uh, in, 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 uh, with uh, such um, uh, generalizations because uh, it is not, as I said, the government is a, is a very 
awkward uh, combination of two uh, political rivals, enemies uh, in practical terms. What is uh, at stake is uh, um, uh, the fact that Borisov is aware that if he will lose power in any way, uh, he will have a very difficult um, uh, life in terms of uh, um, uh, trials and cases uh, against him where witnesses will play crucial role. Uh, and in that sense, uh, being still in power and having absolute grasp on most of the country, he still has the tools and the ability uh, to uh, produce this kind of uh, um, uh, political uh, activities, but they are in no way connected to the government itself. So um, uh, we can see also from the reactions of the, um, uh, of the coalition partners, the, 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 the uh, party continue change and democratic Bulgaria, these two parties that represent the democratic uh, side of the Bulgarian society, uh, that they uh, expected very rapid reactions and clear actions after this murder. Uh, but uh, uh, over the last 15 years, the biggest problem is actually the absolutely unclear connections related to the secret services in Bulgaria, which is part of this model of state capture. Right, right, right. I'll stop you right there. So are you suggesting that, that one way or the other, the current, uh, I don't know, government or, or administration might be behind this uh, assassination? in order to send a warning signal to, to, um, to some of the criminal networks and ex-spy networks that good times are over? Absolutely. Well, we can say every, this kind, uh, any of these kind of activities is a potential threat to the government. But um, this is, I think, another very important aspect that this government uh, was and is uh, an absolute necessary in the context of the new geopolitical situation uh, in the region. And in that sense, um, I would see this murder much more uh, as uh, just another opportunity uh, for the former political elite to secure their um, background, to, to make sure that some of the potential uh, threats are eliminated, but it has no connection to the government. Of course, the, the murder itself will react, will have negative impact on those forces that try to change Bulgaria for better, uh, in, the, in the sense that uh, the opposition towards reforms will bring this up as an argument that when they came to power, uh, the security environment in Bulgaria deteriorated. Where do you expect things to, 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 to go in the next year or so? Uh, is, is Bulgaria going to get some stability and some transparency and more coherence in, in foreign policy? Or another government crisis and another election uh, is more likely? Uh, absolutely. That, that's, an, that's an excellent question, especially because, uh, as you said, and I have also mentioned, this is a very uh, awkward coalition of two sides that would actually uh, do anything to eliminate the other as a political rival. Uh, but at this point, they, 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 they indeed work together under a 
very specific formula of uh, having a prime minister for nine months from one side and then shifting to uh, a representative of uh, Borisov's uh, GERB party, the former uh, uh, the former Bulgarian uh, commissioner in the European Commission, Maria Gabriel, who is supposed uh, after nine months to become uh, prime minister. Currently, she is a minister of foreign affairs. If there is any change that was being made uh, with this government, it is much more visible uh, in international than in national um, uh, in the international rather than inter uh, in the international rather than national activities of the uh, of this government. Uh, Bulgaria has profoundly shifted its attitude towards the war in Ukraine. Uh, and if you look at the priorities of this coalition, um, it has also um, claimed to push forward um, for the membership in uh, Euro and Schengen zones. Uh, but needless to tell you, uh, the murder of Alexei Petrov is not going to have a positive impact on the assessment of the uh, situation in Bulgaria by the two countries that block its membership in the Schengen zone, namely Austria and, and uh, the Netherlands. So in that sense, I would say there is also this cons conscious sabotage uh, from the circles around Borisov that on one hand we want and we support, we are rhetorically pro-European, but in practical terms uh, we do things to, 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 to remain as it is so that we do not have tangible successes of this government, so we undermine the position of our um, political partner in the government. Spasimir, this was very insightful, very interesting, and and, and uh, maybe not very optimistic, but at least uh, should allow uh, our subscribers to understand what is going on. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Adam, for the invitation and, uh, and have a nice day. Thank you.